Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Pretty exciting stuff here on the sports ethos front. The recruiting blitz is on. I have a hell of a DFS opportunity, specifically on the NBA side, but DFS as a whole. Hit me up. Recruiting time. If you want to cover a team as a team podcaster from any major sport. And again, this can't be a little hobby thing. Hit me up. DFS team. We're looking for football contributors, baseball contributors, basketball, of course. But again, the big ones right now. One I really want to make that push on. We got a really cool thing going on the DFS side. I know not all of you that listen to this show do the DFS thing. In fact, maybe very few of you. I don't, but we do have a cool thing here at Sports Ethos, which is the website, to which we are inextricably linked. The site formerly known as the symbol for HoopBall. Uh, At EthosFantasyBK on Twitter, I am at... Well, my name, which is Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Also, quick early show shout out to the excellent work of Joe Orico on the baseball side, J.P. Sticko for football, fantasy MLB today, fantasy NFL today, rolling along, rolling strong. Check all that stuff out. You know, I I kind of thought July was the dog days, but now I'm starting to think that maybe the beginning of August is the dog days. I just... It's been a long time since we had a normal August. Last August, we had free agency, so that kind of condensed the month for us. And then with Yahoo, they've been quite explicit that they will have their first ADP data available exactly two weeks from today, Wednesday, August 24th. That's when it's dropping. It says it right there on their website. Draft analysis data will be available by... 2022-824. Gotta love that backwards formatting. That's some uh, that's some European formatting there. I think they usually do the day first, actually, so I don't even know what the hell that is. But you can still see their player list, their, their pre-rank board. There have been no changes here over the last little bit. Um, you can check out, you know, uh, pr- their projections for things. They don't even have the actual projections slotted in, I believe. I think you can look at just the order right now. And that appears to be the same as whatever it was. Not last Friday, but the one before that. We did a little bit of a, a pop-in. See if anybody was shifting around. And uh, there was. And it'll happen again. Maybe it'll happen two days from now. I don't know. Upcoming Friday. News of the day was slow. Kyrie Irving's camp disputing the rumor that he, quote, hates Sean Marks and Steve Nash, which as soon as you heard that, you had to know that that rumor was stretched a little bit. And it's quite conceivable that he is disenchanted with them, but the player's not going to put out a statement that they hate somebody that's idiotic. The Lakers apparently want to run their offense through Anthony Davis, which, I don't know, man. I think LeBron might be a little better at initiating an offense, but we'll see. And the big news of the morning, and don't worry, we're not going to turn this into another episode of the show. I've, I've had my fun with alternate timelines, 
But apparently, the Blazers and the 76ers are also in the mix on the Kevin Durant stuff. KD, I guess, listed the Sixers as a potential preferred destination. I don't even really know how the Blazers got themselves involved in this thing, but they've been getting mentioned kind of in passing. I don't know that either team has the picks to outpick swap another team, outpick trade, you know, a team like the Pels or the Celtics or whatever, but... And really, I don't even know how Portland gets themselves involved almost at all. I guess I could see how the Sixers might be able to wiggle their way in. They have some big contracts, which that makes this a little bit easier. They've got the young deals. Uh, Tyrese Maxey is a very exciting young player. He, I'm sure, would be a focal point of any trade that goes down there. It is interesting, before we get back into uh, Bucketology today, which we're going we're gonna to wade back into that water in just a minute, that... KD would be comfortable leaving the Nets and going to James Harden's team. I don't know. I haven't seen a whole lot made about that so far this morning, at least on Twitter, but that's the part of that that kind of jumped out to me, which is neither no they're not saying it and KD and Kyrie have both publicly said that they will support the other in whatever they plan on doing here going forward. And Kyrie, you know, supporting KD in his trade demand, KD supporting Kyrie and kind of hanging out for the time being. But at the same time, you've got to think that KD putting the Sixers on his big board is a little bit of a spurning. Say, oh, I'll, you know, I'll go to the team with the guy who was here and left basically because he couldn't deal with Kyrie. That's why James Harden left Brooklyn. There's there's almost no other reason. It was just a cyclone of headaches out there. You don't think he left because of Kevin Durant, do you? KD was busting it as much as he could. I don't think Harden left because of Steve Nash or Sean Marks. Sean Marks brought him there. Got him out of Houston. I think he was probably a bit grateful for that. So it's a little bit weird that Katie's like, oh, yeah, I got, I'm good. I'm good going to Harden, who, you know, kind of bailed out on our team last year, whatever team remained, because he couldn't deal with Kyrie's. Kyrie's crazy, man. He's he's nuts. Uh, and I guess with KD, he looks at Harden, he's like, well, he's done it. Maybe I'll just do it, too. Same thing. All right, Kevin, if you want to get out of town quickly... After a trade demand that your team seems less than willing to uh, acquiesce on, which is sort of the way the Harden stuff went, might I give you a top 10 list of donut shops to hit up? <laughs> that got Harden moved, didn't it? All right. So here's where we're at on Bucketology, which now we haven't done any bucket-related stuff since kind of a a quick check-in on Friday. We had done a handful of teams from the Western Conference as of today, and this is a, a bit of a slow process, I have completed the Western Conference with the exception of the Utah Jazz. Left them out of the mix because we're still waiting on the Donovan Mitchell stuff. Right now, handicapping Utah is just kind of a waste of energy. You know, like, you could do it, and it'd be fine. It might, you know, decent exercise, I guess, in... in working on fantasy teams, 
But you guys know me. I want to work smarter. I want to simplify the equation. And right now, if Donovan Mitchell stays put, great. All the work you've done ends up being useful. If Donovan Mitchell gets moved, the whole team gets upended. Because at that point, anybody else who who classifies themselves, or even the league kind of qualifies them as a veteran, they'll be gone too. You don't think Patrick Beverly is going to hang out in Utah for a year after Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert both get traded. Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, all of those guys would be likely either on the block, on the move, possibly shut down, depending on you know how, how bent they are on making sure these guys don't get hurt. You want to get proper value for them, and there's kind of no reason to play them if you're not. Contractually, there's stuff there that would need to be worked out. You know, different guys that have contracts of different lengths and sizes. Don Mitchell signed for a while. Mike Conley, I believe he has one more year on his deal. Boyan would be an easy one. Bev would be an easy one, too. Those guys are on expiring contracts for about 20 mil and 13 mil. So those are eminently tradable contracts. Uh, Jordan Clarkson has a player option for about 14 mil, which assume that would probably get exercised, but plenty of teams could have a use for kind of a gunner like that. Malik Beasley has a team option on his deal. So that's a tradable contract, although he is a bit younger. So this is this is why you wait. Because right now, you look at the Jazz, you're like, okay, Donovan Mitchell... You know, he's going to get all the usage he can handle. Conley's in a good spot. We saw what he did last year, you know, slow by 2-3% annually. Um, Pat Bev would probably get a decent amount of playing time on that team, even though he's somewhat redundant just because they'll need that. Jared Vanderbilt would likely get to play a decent amount. Bogdanovich would get a ton of shots. But... The whole thing, all right, so Vanderbilt, if he stayed there, he probably would be in pretty good shape even after this massive purge. But, like, if Donovan Mitchell gets traded, he's got three and an option left on his deal after this season. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. The whole thing goes to pot like Conley would almost likely be gone Bogdanovich would be gone Bev would be gone Clarkson probably gone why handicap a team like that we completely different roster in a couple of weeks so we left them out of the board uh I got through the rest of the Western Conference and 
the thing I wanted to talk about today from the bucketology standpoint is it's worthwhile to pause every once in a while and just kind of assess where you're at. Not so much the past two, which for those that missed the descriptions from last year, first pass on this stuff, we are going through every team in the NBA and slotting any potentially fantasy viable name onto our big board. And as you do that, you're, you're sort of just playing a game of like who goes between who with each player as you add them. It's rough. Absolutely. It's sandpaper level rough. But that's what the second pass is about. That's where you smooth it out. You take the, okay, well, like as I was building this area, I put CJ McCollum here uh, behind Jordan Poole but in front of Michael Porter Jr. And then do I is, is that really where I wanted him? Do I, do I need to massage somebody in a different spot? But I put, say, Brandon Ingram, uh, like, behind. Like, I was looking for a spot to put him. I wanted him to be behind C.J. McCollum, but I also wanted him to be in front of player Y, whoever that is. And then you realize as you go back in the second pass that you needed to sort of just nudge. It's nudging at that point. The problem is that as you're going through this on first pass, you might continue to slot players between others. Like, you start to get an idea of, okay, here's a spot on my board uh, where we have, like, C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram and, and Michael Porter Jr. And this is a spot that kind of corresponds to, like, a 60-ish rank player per game, roughly, not going too heavily into totals. But then you realize that you had slotted some other guys, I don't know, like a Keldon Johnson, down farther. He Like, we slotted him near Clay Thompson, who was also kind of like a late 60s guy. But then you kind of look back, you're like, okay, well, wait a minute. Like, what part of this board is actually the 60-some-odd range? So that's kind of what you're doing on pass two. You're making sure that, say, in this case, Keldon Johnson didn't just keep getting pushed down the board by other guys that you were like, oh, I'll just put him near C.J. McCollum. Because that's what first pass is. You're like looking for a range, and you're plopping a guy into a range, at least after you get outside kind of like the top 15, top 20. Top 15, top 20, you're, you're probably being pretty precise because it's easy to say, who do I want more, Damian Lillard or Luka Doncic in 9-cat? Who do I want more, Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard in 9-cat? That's pretty easy. What to me is not all that easy is saying, okay, who do I want more? Um, like, uh, well, I guess Jamal Murray's not a great example because he's coming back from injury, but who would I want more? Um, Clay Thompson or D'Angelo Russell? That's not all that obvious. They both have the uh, strong possibility of ending up in that 70 range per game. Okay, well, maybe Russell plays a few more ball games, but we know Clay Thompson has had that run in the 20s and 30s in the past. Sometimes it's not so obvious when you're slotting guys in, but we do know that they're in a general area and you're starting, friends, to see the outlines of how the buckets form. This is where they come from. This is why the exercise of trying to line up players numerically, 1 through 150, is a little bit insane. Because there are just groups of players that belong together where... 
at the end of the year, and again, we've only done the Western Conference here, so it's actually not nearly as absurd as it might be later, like once this whole list is done, but like <laughs> Jakob Pertl, who might get traded partway through the year. Jakob Pertl went on like a top 65, 70 long run, actually, for a pretty sustained stretch last year, especially towards the end. He finished at number 62 over the last two months of the year. Uh, he was 57 over the last three months. Jakob was actually number 27. He had a brilliant run in the February-March range, where his free throw percentage finally leveled off a little bit. Uh, but you know he's not going to be number 27 over an entire season. Plus, you've got all that risk stuff involved. So then you're like, you're fighting these internal battles here. Uh, you know, who do I want is like Zion Williamson in 9-cat. He has this almost a similar case. You've got the free throw stuff that's hanging over you. Is he going to play? You've got De'Aaron Fox, who when he's clicking, he's in that range. You start to see the outlines of buckets. And it just gets crazier and crazier to try to line these players up. You can play a, a sort of a head-to-head -head thing with yourself. Who do you think finishes at a higher rank this year? Jakob Pertl is Ian Williamson. I actually believe it. I actually think it's Jakob. But, you know, some of that is a durability element. Some of that is, a, well, Zion's lack of weight clauses, things of that nature. They both have free throw issues. But you could make a very reasonable argument to take either one of them based on kind of how your team is being built. That's another element of it. What makes more sense for your team at whatever pick that might be? Now, look, Zion's going to go earlier because he's Zion, but let's just say... For argument's sake, you have the opportunity to pick between guys like this at wherever it is that you're picking here. There isn't, a, there isn't a one true answer of who is the better pick between those two guys, and that's the case with hundreds of combinations you can create inside the top 75 on a fantasy draft board. Which is why, in my eyes, Bucketology is such a useful tool a lot of folks refer to them as tiers. We've said that before on this podcast. That's a reasonable way to think of it, too. Tiers of players based on general rank fantasy stats. That, like, it's really hard to say, hey, let's just go back to last year. Let's use a really easy example from last year and take the players listed at, like, pick 44. Wait a minute. I don't want totals. I want, I want per game numbers because this is even more indicative of what we're talking about here. Uh, you had Zach Levine at 45, who averaged 24.5 points, three threes, four and a half boards, four and a half assists, almost no defensive stats, 48% of the field, 85 at the free throw line. Two slots away, you had DeAndre Ayton at 43, who averaged seven fewer points, six additional rebounds, no three-pointers, almost no assists, about double the number of defensive stats, and was a a, a whiz at field goal percent and a slight negative at free throw percent. These two players are almost as different as you could find sitting right next to each other. You've got, okay, so like I'm sure a lot of you are listening like, Dan, there are players that sit right next to each other that are more different than that. But look, this is a live podcast. We're doing this stuff on the fly. These types of shows I don't like to script out beforehand. I think it's more interesting for you guys to sort of follow the mental... GPS direction sheet, 
how we're getting from place to place here and how arguments kind of come together. But as far as players that are ranked between, you know, 35 and 60, to me, that's one of the best examples of guys that are almost right next to each other that just have almost nothing in common. And at the same time, you look at them and you say, there's a great reason to want either of these guys on your fantasy team. You could take Yeldis Valanciunas, who's right there also. He and DeAndre Ayton had almost identical fantasy stats. That's uh, JV a little worse in, in field goal, a little better in free throw. That, I mean, that's like the only difference between those two guys. Valanciunas had 0.7 more three-pointers, which looks like a lot when you talk about comparatively, but both pretty low overall. So then looking at last year, and that's not to say that you have to put these guys in the same tier for this season, although I don't think it'd be the worst idea in the world to, to take a look and say, yeah, okay, Aiton in that 40 range, Levine in the 40s, like that's a very reasonable quick pass at those guys. Who's going to be better at the end of the year? Levine beat him because he played nine extra games this last season, but JV beat Levine because he played in seven more games than he did. So will it come down to number of games played? It very well might, which means that in this moment, in this tiering system, or buckets, as it were, there isn't a perfect answer there. Especially if you have a team built, like if you have Cat, if you take Cat towards mid-late first round, and then coming back in the second round, I don't know who the bleep is going to be on the board at that point, but... Let's say in the third, you take Chris Paul, second round, who who's floating around at that point? Let's look at Yahoo's pre-ranks here and try to pick somebody who's available, like, kind of early, mid-second round. Like, let's say you take a shot on uh, Kawhi Leonard at that point. So you got Cat, Kawhi, and Chris Paul. What you don't have in extraordinarily large numbers at that point are threes. Or blocks, really. Although Cat gets you one and change, Kawhi will get you probably a little under that. Chris Paul's not getting you that. You got assists in pretty good shape because Cat's a good passer from the big man spot. Chris Paul will have a ton. I mean, you're a relatively well-rounded team. Your percentages are good there, but Cat's only two three-pointers a game. Kawhi, we don't we don't really know. I guess you you could go back to the previous year and try to float it off of that. He was a little under two. Chris Paul has been well under two. You don't have that big three-point guy. So at that point, even though Zach Levine got smashed this last year by totals by Jonas Valanciunas, Zach Levine makes way more sense for that fantasy team. Even though it's quite conceivable that JV beats him again. Jonas Valanciunas number 27 by totals this last year. And Levine was 40. And then DeAndre Ayton was way the hell down the board, 63, because he was not durable at all this last season. So JV beat him by like a round and a half, a little more than a round, in totals value. And even if we assume that, and I know, JV's going to take a hit from Zion. I, I don't want you to worry about that right now. This is an argument based on last year's numbers. If we already knew what was going to happen, you still might take Zach Levine, even though he lost that battle, because your team badly needed a bunch of three-pointers, didn't need steals, really. Probably could have used a couple of blocks, but, you know, JV, Aiton, neither one of those guys got you many blocks at that juncture. So, okay, you forego that 
category to shore up scoring and threes. And there's Zach Levine. So he's in a bucket with these other guys because there isn't a right answer there. They're all right and they're all wrong for different reasons. There's a best answer for your team, and sometimes a bucket will have a guy that you shift a little bit towards the front end of it. And that's what you start to get as you hit this halfway point. Again, leaving the top of the board behind, you start to get into You can begin to see them take shape. Desmond Bain, John Morant. Those guys start to fall into a bucket. I know they're on the same team. You've got these this 60-some-odd range bucket. C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Keldon Johnson floating around in there, Jakob Pertl. Do you trust Michael Porter Jr.? Because that's roughly where he's going. Where do you put Poole and Murray? Are they a little in front of that? Probably. So you start to see those outlines forming. But the problem, the reason you can't finalize buckets yet is that first you have to finish adding all the other players in the NBA and then you badly need to go back and make sure that no one got sort of elbowed out the way I pictured in my head and boy is it warm in Southern California today it's realizing as I do this podcast and start to sweat in my bedroom it's not because I'm nervous or is it what you start to think of, for me, and I, I, I'm guessing most of you did not have the exact same elementary school experience that I did, but when we were in elementary school music class, which was just like a bunch of kids playing recorders together or singing goofball songs that kids can sing, the first thing at the beginning of class was a little song called Elbow Room. It went, Elbow Room, Elbow Room. Try to find me some elbow room. So all the kids would put, you put your hands like with your knuckles over your chest, basically, and then cock your elbows out to the sides and just spin very slowly in place. You weren't trying to bash anybody, but if your elbows contacted anybody else's elbows, then you knew you just had to be a tiny bit farther apart. A little bit of space to play your music, make your noise, whatever. So you find elbow room. The... Way off topic here for a minute, but the way that I picture that in my mind is like, as you're going through this exercise and you're slotting guys into your board, you're dropping a new student into this music class where everyone had already found their elbow room. And let's say in this music class, the kids were sort of arranged by skill level with the best musicians on the far right of the room and the worst over on the far left, which... Believe me, if you're listening, you're going to want to stand over on the right. <laughs> Dang kids and their off-key warbling. But then you drop in a kid, and you're like, oh, this kid's pretty good. And you drop him in over on the mid-right, and he creates some elbow room, and so everybody moves. Basically, everybody that was to the left of him has to shift farther down the board. And then you just keep dropping people in where you think they are. Unfortunately, there was a kid who was previously relatively good at music in this class who now is t continuing to get pushed farther and farther to the left with these half-wits that can't carry a tune. Pass two is looking back at that class and saying, now, wait a minute, was that kid who kept getting elbowed out, did that kid actually belong, like, kind of back where he started or she started? I said he because we're talking about the NBA. Move them back around. So there's a little bit of deck shuffling there. 
and we will get to that after we finish pass one. There is also one other key note here on pass one, and then I want to wrap things up because we've gone longer than I expected on this halfway check-in here, and that is the distant end-of-draft list. Because right now, we have an upper part of the board that's about 50-ish players deep, and we have a lower part of the board that's about 30 players deep. We have about 80 names on the list here at the halfway point, minus Utah. So I went a little heavy. I added a few names that I didn't think... uh, Honestly, they didn't really belong, but I threw them in there just for completion's sake. Got to, like, unlock the achievement here. What I want you guys to do also on that, specifically on that lower moonshot list, that pass two is going to be a longer pass two. The first one should be nudging. Rearrange, quick rearrange. The bottom board... I don't want you to spend too much time on right now. Those names that you're throwing in down there are the very end of the draft. Who will we take a shot on? Meaning after all of the truly useful guys are out of the way, who's the shot? Because there's always a couple, there's like one or two rounds at the end of your draft where all the players you were actually looking at have been pulled off the board. And then it's who's left. And that's where these names come in. So pile them up right now. The John Walls, the Josh Hart's, the Kevin Herters, the Jay Sean Tate's, the guys where you're like, look, there's two types of players down here. There's infinite upside and infinite downside. There's, we'll probably throw some injured names in there. And then there's the guys where you're like, in all likelihood, this dude's going to be number 135. But dot, dot, dot. So that's like the Kevin Herter. Dorian Finney-Smith, Jay Crowder, who crawled up into the top 100 because, you know, enough guys missed time. How do we organize these? Typically by upside. But also, again, you do have to, you do have to take stock of what your fantasy team's at at a certain point. But I want to pause that for now. I want to try to get through as much of the Eastern Conference as I can before tomorrow's show. We'll see how that goes. I do not promise it'll be ready. Um, but once it is, we'll start to do kind of a quick sweep on pass one, see where things are coming, see if we can begin to just almost color code buckets a little bit, and then roll into pass two, and that's where things really start to take shape. And after pass two, then you need ADP data, which we're not getting for two weeks. So buckle up. We'll have some other stuff to do in between. This was... Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. Hit me up if you want to cover a team. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll work together, actually. See? Isn't that reason enough? Don't let me down, he said in disappointed dad voice. All right, have a great Wednesday. That is today, right? Off-season episode 88. Bingo. All right, on to tomorrow. Tomorrow.